0: Uh, bowing our hearts, bending our knees, and uh, that's truly what we want. We want hearts that are that are submitted to you, that are truly bowed. But we also want to remember that there are people around the world right now that are also bowing their hearts and bending their knees, and, and some of them are, be- are being led by our missionaries. And so I also want to remember to pray for our missionaries who, who are leading people towards you and, and are helping them bow their hearts and bend their knees. In particular, I want to pray for Amanda Miller this morning that you would just... Bless her ministry in France. God, for these, these two people that she's mentioned, um, uh, for, for Joanna and Johan that she says, pray for their salvation. We pray that they would see your light, that you would shine on them and they would receive the gospel. I pray you lead her and, and the people she's ministering with to the right people to speak with, to plant seeds, that they'd see fruit from their effort there. And I pray that they'd, that they'd have great times in your word, that you would strengthen them uh, through through their own personal time connecting with you in Scripture and in prayer. So we pray for her and we pray for our other missionaries that you would just bless them and, and continue to use them. We, we also thank you that uh, Rob Ribby came back safely from India. Um, thank you for all of the, the great things you did in his life over there. We look forward to hearing about the things that he has to praise you for as we hear stories, as we hear just the mighty things that you've done. So now as we want, we want to look to your word. We want to we understand it, we want to listen, we want to hear with our hearts what you want to say to us this morning. We give this time to you in Christ's name, amen. Good morning. Uh, we are still in Galatians, so uh, if you want to grab a Bible and turn to Galatians chapter 3, that's where we're at, Galatians 3 verse 1. Uh, so if you want to do that, there's also, uh, there's also notes in your bulletin. So you can pull that out if you want to follow along that way. Um, fill in the blanks as we go. <clears throat> a few years ago, I was preaching a sermon. I don't remember what sermon it was, but I remember, I remember inviting people to accept Christ. And there was a man in the back who did. And I met him that Sunday. I went back and shook his hand, asked who he was. And we talked for a few minutes. But it was clear that he had received Christ that Sunday. And and so we, we had conversed about it. He started coming to church. And he came for a few weeks. And, and again, I'd see him and I talked to him a little bit. And, and then all of a sudden he just disappeared. And I didn't see him for a number of weeks. And I, I started asking people that kind of sat in his area... You know, do, do you know who this person was? I, I don't have his phone number. He never really made contact with the church that way. And it took me a while to figure out somebody that actually knew him. Finally, I discovered someone that kind of knew him personally. And I said, so so what happened? What happened to him? Where, where is he at? And they said, oh, well, I, I work with him. I think that was it. It was a work relationship. And he just said, uh, you know, the, the Christian life is it's just too hard. It's too hard to live the way I'm supposed to live. So... I, I can't do this anymore. Now, maybe I'm trying. I, I was asking myself why? Why that response? Now, now, maybe, maybe he just loved the world and that was it, and and he didn't want to didn't want to really follow Christ because Jesus says you better count the cross. If anyone wants to come after me, you better deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow. So, so there is this idea that I had to consider the price of following Christ. Nothing that I do gets me saved, but I better consider at least what what this whole thing entails. But the other part of me says, did this guy mistakenly think that that that, that becoming a Christian was mainly about being a better person, being a good guy, and, and being nice, and following rules? Because if that's what this is all about, then I can see why he might be a little bit frustrated, and a little bit... Put off by this thing, if it's just about, hey, I believe in Jesus, now here's the rule book. Maybe that is discouraging and depressing. And so I want to come at this message this morning with the idea that I want to deal with that with that problem of, of keeping rules, being good enough, and trying to have kind of a, a self-made spirituality. Like I'm going to do it, I'm going to get this done. I want to come against that a bit this morning. So look in your Bible at Galatians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Paul writes, "'You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard?' Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing, if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Consider Abraham. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. The scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. All who rely on observing the law are under a curse, for it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. Clearly no one is justified before God by the law because... The righteous will live by faith. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. And we'll stop there for the morning. So, um, what Paul's getting at here this morning, I believe, is he's trying to pit the flesh and the law against the spirit and faith. He's trying to say, you can live in one of two different spheres in, in Christianity. And one of them doesn't work at all. Maybe we even them would call it Christian. You, you can live by the flesh and by the law. That is, by your own self-effort whatever you can accomplish on your own, and you have a list of rules that you're going to keep in order to keep you on the right path. Or you can live over here according to the Spirit, by faith. So, so he's contrasting these two things. And what I want to do this morning is I just want to show you from the Scripture how useless it is to try to live a rule-based life according to your own self-effort. Trying harder. Trying harder to please God, trying harder to be spiritual, trying harder on the basis of rules that I'm going to try to live by to make God happy with me and to be a spiritual man or a spiritual woman. I'm trying to show this morning from the scripture why that is a useless way of living your Christian life. Okay? Okay. So, first of all, number one, if you have your notes, you can look at that. Number one, life according to rules, and life according to self-effort is useless because, number one, we're being fooled by somebody. Number one, the blank is fooled. We're being fooled by somebody. Paul says it like this, you foolish Galatians, verse one, who has bewitched you? Who put a spell on you? Now, Now we know there were people that came into the Galatian church and started to tell the church, We know you believe in Jesus, but you really need Jesus plus the law. That's how you really are saved. And Paul says, no, no, you add the law and you've messed everything up. It's just Jesus alone. He says, who is tricking you? Who's bewitching you? What's going on here? Somewhere along the line, I believe the same is true of us. Somebody, maybe even ourselves, somebody has fooled us into thinking that if we're better people, we will be accepted by God. God. Or accepted by others. Let me tell you the way it worked out in my life. And I cast no blame here. I'm just telling you the story. I was raised in a Christian family, and I attended a small private uh, Christian school, grades one through eight. I have nothing against my school experience, just so you know, I think it was great. But along the line, because this was attached to a church and the church had certain rules, those rules were also passed on to me as a student at the school. We had rules like, uh, you couldn't go to movies, or you couldn't listen to rock music, even Christian rock music. And so I remember uh, being in, in junior high, I remember my principal pulling out a, a Petra tape, a cassette tape. You know, Petra you know Petra, who that is? It's a Christian rock band, okay? And... Uh, I was in junior high and I was just discovering rock music, okay? And I kind of liked it. And I had some Petra stuff at home. But that wasn't my tape. But, but he pulled out this Petra tape and I'm like, oh no, I see where this is going, you know? He breaks it in front of the class. We don't listen to rock music here, you know? And, and it's not even a question of whether Petra's Christian or not. He just says, no rock music whatsoever. Snap, Okay? I don't know whose tape that was, or how they went home, and how they felt at that time. But it wasn't mine. But I got the clear impression that if I listen to music with a drum beat, I must be closer to the devil at that time. I, I, I don't know. I don't know. And I don't. I'm not saying that all rock music's okay either. I'm just saying Christian rock. I mean, that was important to me at that time. But clearly, it wasn't okay at the school. There was the impression that I got from people at school that. If I am a good person, if I obi- abide by the rules, no movies, no rock music, no dancing, you better wear, uh, you know, ladies better wear dresses, there are all these different rules, then, then I am okay with God. And I'm not saying they base their salvation on that, I'm not saying that at all, that'd be a false gospel. I'm just saying that if I, if I want to know if God's okay with me, happy with me right now, then I better obey some rules. Now, fortunately, my parents helped me walk through that time in my life and and they told me very clearly, we're not basing your relationship on whether you keep these rules. You're going to keep these rules because they're the authority over you, but you're not basing anything between you and God on whether you keep these rules or not. We're okay with God because of Jesus. but, But here's the thing. I think all of us have probably at some point experienced somebody that made us feel like, if I perform or if I obey, then you will be okay with me. Maybe it was a coach, and on your team, you tried your hardest. You worked as hard as you could in practice. But if you couldn't perform on game day, it was like the coach didn't like you. You were against, He was against you, and he did not accept you because you couldn't give him what he was looking for on the field. And so somewhere along the line, you internalized that and said, okay, if I perform, I will be accepted here. Could have been a parent. You could have brought home a report card that said C. And you knew that was your best effort. I'm assuming that was your best effort, by the way. Maybe you knew that was what you could really get. You were a C student, and that's just what you were. But to your parents, that was never good enough because it didn't compare to your brother or sister. And so you, you, you took the weight of that. You knew it was all you could do. And you also felt like if you couldn't get to the B or A range, you weren't accepted by your parents. I don't know. But I know we have a tendency as humans to say, if you don't perform, then I'm withholding affection. There's something in us that does that and it's ugly. It's really ugly. If you've ever been in a situation like that, my thinking is you've probably been tempted to think, if my parents treat me like that, if my coach treats me like that, if my teacher treats me like that, I wonder if God treats me like that. So let me ask you this. When you do something good for somebody, if you slip $20 in someone's mailbox because you knew that groceries were tight for them that week, do you feel like God loves you more? And if you do... Are you basing that on what you've done? Does God love us more when we act good? The answer, of course, is no. But self-made spirituality says, I'll be good and God will love me more for it. That is not the walk of faith. That is uh, the walk of self-effort. Okay, um, Jesus said it like this. You have the verse in front of you, Matthew twenty-three, fifteen. 15. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You travel over land and sea to make win one single convert. And when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. Ultimately, when we teach people to be good, to please God, if we go that far, that far, that extreme, we are sending people to hell, Jesus is saying. He's saying, Pharisees, you look so good. Nobody looks better than a Pharisee on the outside. They are the, they are the law keepers supreme. And yet when they make converts, they make converts that look good, but they're going to hell. That's how much God hates the self-effort. I'm going I'm to do things to make you happy with me, God. He hates it. Okay, um, let's do this. Secondly, number two... The problem with human effort and rules is that we forget the cross. We forget the cross. Here's how Paul says it. Verse 1. Before your very eyes, Jesus was clearly portrayed as crucified. Now, I don't know, I don't know what he means by this, by the way. I have a few guesses. Does it mean... He says, before your eyes. Well, Galatians, how was it before your eyes? Maybe he drew them a picture. Maybe he explained the cross very graphically and said, this is what happened to Jesus. But whatever he did, he's trying to say, I took great pains to show you this is all about what Jesus did. If you were here last week, you heard me say, it's all about Jesus' faithfulness. It's not about mine. He did it, not me. And so Paul says, I portray Jesus as crucified to you. When you base your spirituality on rules and on trying to do better in your own power, you're forgetting the cross. Because on the cross, Jesus did this. He showed us what miserable failures we are to keep rules. If you want to see what, how God feels about your good works, look at the cross. They don't get you anywhere. All the things that you have done in life put Jesus on the cross. We don't have much going for us there. But the good news is, if you want to know how crazy God is in loving us, you look at the cross and say, okay, how much do you love me, God? Enough to send my son to die for you. And so we know the scripture says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And that's how God demonstrates his love for us. How does God demonstrate his love for us? Christ died. He doesn't demonstrate it because we've been really good people. He demonstrates it because He loves us. He loves us because He loves us. And He showed it by sending His Son. You can't earn any more of it. You can't make Him love you more. So it's very dangerous to start saying, I'm going to base my spirituality on what I do in making God pleased with me. If you go that direction, this is probably what happens to you. When you forget the cross, you kind of become on a roller coaster. You know, if you have a bad day, you're at the bottom and you feel terrible about yourself because you messed up and God must be, must be very angry with you. And he's about to smite you. (laughs) If you do good, you're on the, on the upper part here and God's happy with you. Life is good. And God's going to bless you because you've been a good person, you know? And by the way, I do know obedience does bring blessing. That's a biblical concept. Don't think I'm disagreeing with that, but, but there's a, there's an idea where we think we earned it. I earned it. I talked to one guy I talked to one guy who pursued purity in his relationship with his fiance purity he got married and he thought because they were pure before marriage that God was not going to let them have marital problems cuz they were pure but i'm afraid that's not how it works <laughs> You can be as pure as you want and that will honor God and that will be a great testimony and that may even help draw people towards Christ, but that doesn't guarantee smooth marriage. God's not making a deal here with us. If you're good, I'll be good to you. We'll make a deal. He doesn't do it like that. He blesses as He desires. He blesses in response to prayer. He blesses the obedient, but it's His choice. It's His choice. We don't make deals like this and say, I'll be pure if you do this for me. So we get off the roller coaster and we remember the cross gives us a steady spirituality. God loves me, he loves me, and when I mess up, I've got the cross. He loves me anyway. And when I have a good day, I've got the cross. And so my spirituality is steady. I don't wonder about God's love because the moment I start to wonder, I look at the cross and say, he loves me. He loves me. I can keep going even when I fail. Okay, so we get off the roller coaster. Number three. Why does self-effort and rules not work? Number three. Uh, number three is really simple. We fight harder. We fight harder. When, when you see yourself mess up, you just try a little more. Um, here's how Paul says it. Verse three. Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your goal by human effort? Are you trying to work harder... To get a spiritual goal. It's like, that doesn't work. And yet, that's what we have to do if you're going to live your life in the flesh and and do this all in your own power. When you see a problem in your life, you're going to have to say, I'm going to try harder at that and I'm going to get this done and make God happy. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. This is what I notice about people that try harder it's almost like they have a mental set of rules. Like, like a top five commandments that they're not going to break. They're really bad ones. And if they don't break those top five, whatever that is, then they're going to feel good about themselves. Okay? These are the people also, and you might be among them, and I know I do this too, just we're all in this. Some of us have sins that we hate more than others. Okay? And so we like to talk about those sins more than others. And we like to point them out more than other sins. And people around us, I mean the world especially, they pick up on this like that. Oh, that church hates that sin and that sin, but they don't care so much about those sins. I don't want to be that church that, that just picks on certain sins. I want to hate all the sins and love all the sinners. And so I want to be balanced in how I treat sin. Look, I've heard, I've heard pastors and leaders on uh, National Days of Prayer we have one of those every May, and some of you may participate in something like that. Um, I've heard pastors and leaders that pray for, uh, they, they repent for, for our nation for what we've done wrong. And we have sins as a nation, of course. What, what discourages me is I would notice that year after year at these National Days of Prayer, I see the same two or three sins cropping up in those prayers. We hate abortion. And we, we confess that. And we hate homosexuality. We confess that. And you know what? Those are sins. I'm not saying they're not. But what about pride? You know? I never have anybody come to me and sit down in my office and say, Pastor, I need to confess my pride. But, and yet, what got Satan kicked out of heaven? You see, there, there are sins that we normalize. My gossip's really not that big of a deal. It's not. I'm not worried about that. It's not a big one. And we kind of have a top five. The top five thing makes me sick. And I, and I do it too. I have a list of ones that I say, whoa, that's bad. And I, I can't go there. I can't do that. I have to remind myself that God hates all sin. God hates all sin. And the moment that I start creating my top five list and start saying, I didn't do these things, that's Pride. That's my own pride. This is, I'm a pretty good person most of the time. That's pride. Typically, when you have sins that you hate more than others, you really de emphasize other sins in your life. You just don't even worry about them. And that concerns me because it's the sins underneath the surface that are killing you. It's those ones you've got to worry about. Most of us won't commit our top five anyway if we can help it. <laughs> Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 5.20, I love the way he says it, I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus says, if you're really going to live this by rules, and you're really going to try as hard as you can, you better be better than a Pharisee. Pharisees were the masters at keeping the law. They looked so good on the outside. And Jesus says, unless you can beat them, you don't, you don't have a chance. Better to come to God like the tax collector and beat on your chest and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, than to come in there and say, I am glad I'm not like a lot of people in this country. These really messed up people. I also notice this when natural disasters happen. I don't want to get off on a tangent too much, but sometimes, I think we're, because my kids were talking to me about this, you know, when tornadoes strike and, and these kind of things and hurricanes, are we, are we talking about God judging wicked people, you know? And I wonder how much pride it is that makes us say, oh yeah, those bad people over there, they had it coming. There's no sinners over here in Wisconsin, of course. Um, Glad for that. Um, (laughs) So, I don't know. I don't know. You know... (laughs) My tangent, I, I should get off my tangent. I keep telling myself that. You know, Jesus talks about the, the time when, the, when there was a tower that fell over and killed some Jewish people. And they said, why did the tower fall? And Jesus says, you know, it's to teach you that if you don't repent, you're going to die too, you know? <laughs> I mean, that, that's the story. When natural disasters happen and people die and we want to say, oh, they were wicked. The point is we're all wicked. And, and I deserve to die in that too. That's the point. Okay, tangent's over. Number four, um... Self-made religion, self-made effort, and and rules don't work because, number four, we forfeit amazing acts of the Spirit. We forfeit amazing acts of the Spirit. Here's the way Paul says it. Verse 5, Does God give you his Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? We forfeit the Spirit doing amazing things because we think we can do it on our own power. Uh, 1 Thessalonians one five, it's in your notes there, says, Our gospel came to you not simply with words, but with power, with the Holy Spirit, with deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. He's saying, the Spirit got you into this thing. The Spirit did an amazing thing the day you got saved. He washed you clean. He enlightened your eyes to see Jesus as he truly is. And then you responded in faith and said, I'll take that. And when the Spirit did that, that was a miracle. And the Spirit does other miraculous things. God listens when you pray. If you doubt that, come to cross training after church, after this service. I mean, we talk about prayer. We pray together. God does amazing things when you pray. Miraculous things. And he doesn't do it because you earned it. He does it because He's gracious with His people. He does it on the basis of the fact that we've been united to Christ and we please Him in every way because Jesus pleases Him in every way. We've been crucified with Christ. And if Jesus makes God happy, we make God happy because we are united to Him. So do you want to see the Spirit do amazing things in your life? Do you want to see the Spirit help you conquer that sin that keeps coming back? Then you better depend heavily on the Spirit. You better not try to do it on your own. Self-effort will not help you conquer that sin. But when you cooperate with the Spirit of God living in you, you will see victory in areas of your life that you will call miraculous. But if there's a leaning on God. There's a dependence on God that has to happen. Let me make my conclusion then. We're coming to the end. Conclusion, last slide. The Christian life From beginning to end is to be lived by faith in the gospel. That's Paul's conclusion. Here's how he says it in the scripture. He says, consider Abraham, verse 6, he believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Understand then that those who believe are children of Abraham. He uses Abraham as the ultimate example of being a man of faith. We're supposed to be like him because in Genesis 15, arguably the most important chapter in the whole Old Testament, Abraham has this encounter with God and God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. I'm going to bless all people in the world through you. And it says Abraham believed him and God said, that faith, I'm going to count that as righteousness in your account. Now I'm not saying faith equals righteousness. I'm saying that when you have faith, God gives you righteousness. God says, I'm going to credit this to your account. I'm going to give you the righteousness of Christ just because you believe. So faith got you into the Christian life. Faith's going to see you through. Now you see the tightrope walker. I bet you've been wondering the whole time why that's up there. There was a famous tightrope walker named Charles Blondin. I don't know if I'm saying that right. He was, he was a French guy. like him already. And uh, he, uh, he would walk across Niagara Falls and... Uh, he, he, he kept doing this over and over. It, this was the late 1800s. And after a while, he started to do new tricks over Niagara Falls. So he would go out there blindfolded across a tightrope. That wasn't good enough. So he would go out and, and stand on a chair. You know, one leg of the chair is on the tightrope and he would stand on that. Another time he went out there and he cooked an omelet. I don't know how he did that, but he cooked an omelet on the tightrope in the middle there was another trick where he took his manager on his shoulders and the manager and he... That manager, I mean, that's a good manager when you believe in your person that well, you know. Takes the manager on his shoulders and walks out on Niagara Falls on the tightrope. Now, this never happened, but imagine this if it did. Imagine the first time the manager got on Charles Blondin's shoulders and they started to take him out there. Imagine if the manager said wait a minute, this is scaring me. (laughs) You need to let me down. I'll finish this on my own. (laughs) Just imagine that. (laughs) You would say, that's crazy. That's insane. That's suicide. You're not the professional. You get back up on his shoulders and finish the walk that way. That's what Paul's going for here in this passage. He's trying to say, You started this Christian life by faith. There was a moment where you put your trust in Jesus. Jesus, save me. Jesus, I can't do it on my own. I need your forgiveness. I need your help. I can't change my life. I can't transform. And Jesus said, Okay, I'll transform you. And he did. And Paul's saying, At some point, you're walking across the the high wire here, and, and you're saying, But I'll start doing it on my own now. I'll take it from here. That doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's not faith is not something that you focus on when you get into the faith and when you end, you know, your 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 life. I I know that's what some people think because they start by believing in Jesus and on their deathbed one day they'll they'll say, "I believe Jesus. I'm going to go to heaven," and, and they they get back into that faith thing. But everything in the middle is supposed to be lived that way as well. I can't do this on my own. If I try to live according to your rules, I'm under a curse. I'll fail miserably. So I rely on you, Jesus, to help me. By the way, if you wonder what I really think about the law and what the scripture teaches about the law, you should have been here last week. So if you're here this week and you're like, what do you think about the law then? What do we do with it? Uh, Listen to last week's sermon online and and you'll kind of catch up a little bit. All I'm saying is we do read the law, we do study the rules of God, but that's not what we live our life by. Parents, uh, I, I included a verse in your notes, just for you, and so your kids can see this too. Just so no one misunderstands me. And uh, I don't have that in front of me right now. That's funny. <laughs> I, need, I need a bulletin. I need my, my verse. There we go. Thank you. Wonderful. Um, Galatians five six. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith, expressing itself through love. Faith, expressing itself through love. So, so parents, I'm thinking about you because you're, you're training your kids and I'm trying to do this too. Do we have household rules in the filial house? We do. We don't say the S word, stupid, right? Or shut up, whatever one, you know. <laughs> um, there's certain things that my kids are not going to do. Their household rules, their filial rules, we're not going to do that. That's good. But I want my kids to understand that keeping the rules is about loving Jesus. It's not about getting what you want. It's not about going out to eat because I was a good little kid. Um, no, no. It's about loving Jesus. It's about loving your parents and honoring them. It's not about my approval. I'm going to love them regardless, and I want to train them that. But, but just so you know, when you have true faith, and Abraham had true faith, He expressed it in loving God and following his commands. I'm going to look at that idea more next week. I will. Um, In fact, if you're going into a community group this week, I'm going to ask you a question about um, God's covenant with Abraham. And and could Abraham have broken God's laws and would God have taken Abraham out of the covenant? Would that have happened? What would God have said of Abraham? you had faith, but you didn't obey me here. You didn't get circumcised like I told you to, so... You know, you're out. Well, is, is the covenant unconditional or not? If you're, in, if you're in a community group, you'll face that question this week and I'll try to answer it next week. Instead, let me close like this. Rules. Rules are good. I'm not saying rules are bad. I think I've tried to demonstrate that. Rules are trying to, we, we should use rules to, just to help us love Christ Better. It's a heart thing. Otherwise, we're Pharisees and we obey rules to look good and somehow earn something. Rules are good. Um, I want you to think about how strongly Jesus is trying to proclaim the purpose of rules. Rules trying to help you love Jesus better, that is. In America, we have driving rules. Do you know about them? Speed limits? <laughs> when it says 45, you're not supposed to go 50. Right? Or 55 or 60. Fortunately, I only go five over, so I'm okay. Um, But uh, (laughs) we have lots of driving rules in America. I expect you to know them. I hope you abide by them. The Bible also has a lot of rules. In the Old Testament, in the Torah alone, there's over 600. They're good rules. Jesus took all of those rules, though, and he boiled them down to two. Love God and love your neighbor. Now think about that. You're taking all the rules. Don't lie. Don't kill. Don't be angry with people. Don't commit adultery. Don't lust. You took took all of that. Don't gossip. Don't all that. And you boiled it down to two. Love God and love people. What if we apply that America today and said, new driving laws, two, love God while you're behind the wheel and love other people that are on the road while you're behind the wheel. Would you get on the road? Would that do it for you? I I don't think it would do it for me. I think I want people driving to know this is the speed limit, we've posted it, and it's not enough for you to be driving and say, I'm going to drive at a safe speed that's not going to hurt anybody else. No, I want the speed limit up there. I want the stop sign there to know who gets to go first. I count on these laws. (laughs) And yet the Christian life can be summed up with two. Jesus must count on the Spirit so powerfully working in us that, that we don't have to live a law-based life. We live a Spirit-based life. Uh, we're crucified with Christ. It's no longer we who live or drive, but Christ who lives and drives in us. He is living out His life in us. And it's helpful to look at the rules and review them, but we don't live by them. We live beyond them. We go beyond it. It's not just about not killing. It's not not being angry with people. It's not having unforgiveness towards people. It it goes beyond the law. It it goes towards loving people. It's not just that I'm tolerating people that drive me crazy. It's that I'm actively loving the people that drive me crazy. That's beyond the law. That's a spirit-produced miracle when a self-centered person like me can love somebody that drives me crazy. Amen? Yeah! Yeah, so, so God's going beyond the driving rules, but he's summarizing it simply. Love God and love people. What if you did drive in a way that loved other people on the road? I doubt you'd be texting. We wouldn't even need that law because we just assume, oh, if I'm texting, I could cause an accident with somebody and that wouldn't be very loving. You see, may your love for Christ consider the rules, not break them, Consider them, abide by them, obey them, but may they only be a part of your great love for Jesus Christ. May that be the fuel that keeps you going in your spiritual life. May the Spirit work in you powerfully. You either live by faith in the Spirit or you live by rules and self effort. Paul says, Your choice. It's your choice. Let's pray.